This morning, we are honored to have one of our church members, one of our men preaching for us today. This is Brother Jeff Neese. Master Chief Neese enlisted in the Navy out of Detroit, Michigan in the year 2000. Uh, during his 22-year career, he completed training as a nuclear opera operator, served on board three aircraft carriers, and trained future nuclear operators at the Naval Nuclear Power Training Command. His notable tours included, included serving as the Reactor Department Master Chief on board the USS Nimitz as the senior enlisted leader at the Nuclear Power School. Master Chief Nice has done six deployments in support of the Global War on Terrorism, Operation Enduring Freedom, and Operation Tomodachi? Tomodachi, all right. His awards include the Humanitarian Service Medal, the Naval Battle E, two Navy Achievement Medals, four Navy Commendation Medals, and one Meritorious Service Medal. He currently serves as a Senior Enlisted Advisor for the Nuclear Enlisted Community Manager in Arlington, Virginia. Jeff, Daisy, and Lily began attending Heritage in October of 2019, and they joined Heritage in early March of 2020. Jeff is nearing retirement from the Navy, and uh, Jeff believes the Lord has called him to go into full-time ministry, and we're excited for that calling in his life, and excited that uh, we've gotten a chance to get to know Jeff. Uh, God has bound our hearts together. He's a great brother in the Lord. Glad that you can come and share with us this morning what God's laid on your heart, Brother Jeff. Amen. Well, good morning. Sounds like I'm on. All right, in, uh, in preparation for the, the message, if you could turn to um, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. As you're turning there, I'd like, to, um, I'd like to thank everyone that has told me this morning. They've been praying for me. I definitely appreciate it, definitely need it. I'd like to, to thank Pastor Carpenter for the, uh, the trust that you give me um, standing in the pulpit. I can tell you that I, that I do not take it I don't take it lightly. Um, this, is, this is God's church. Right? God purchased this church with his own blood. We came here this morning to worship God. We came here this morning to worship the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. I mean, the, the, the one who currently in heaven right now is surrounded by heavenly creatures crying out, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. This is not a light thing. I don't take it lightly. But when Pastor asked me if I'd be willing to, to come and preach, I, um, I quickly and gladly accepted the invitation. And the reason that I did was because in October of 2005, I was saved. When I, when I say I was saved, what I mean is I was, I was born again. Right, what, I, what I mean is I, I passed from death to life, from darkness to light. I mean, God took the old man, he took the old heart, and he replaced it with a new heart. He changed me in a moment, in an instant in time. I heard the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. I turned to him through repentance and faith. And in a moment in time, the weight and the burden of sin was lifted off of me. 
And I, quick, and I determined very early on in my Christian walk that if I'm ever given an opportunity to brag on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm taking it. Amen. If I'm ever given an opportunity to tell others about His love, to tell others about His goodness, about, about His grace, I'm taking it. God's good. God is good. I believe that it seems reasonable the reason that Pastor asked me to, to, to stand up today was because we're, we're honoring veterans, we're, we're paying tribute to whom tribute is due, honoring veterans, and he asked if, uh, if I'd be willing to wear a uniform up here, and, and that's what I'd like to talk about this morning in preparation for the message is the uniform, the uniform. According to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the uniform is the particular dress of soldiers by which one regiment or company is distinguished from another, or a soldier from another person. This dress is called a uniform because it is alike among all the soldiers. Think about that. It distinguishes members of the military from civilians. When we look around today, you can look around and you can see people in military uniform and you know immediately they're in the military or had been in the military. If, if you're familiar with the various military uniforms, you can look at someone in a Navy uniform and you can say that's a sailor. You can look at someone in an Army uniform and you can say soldier, Marine uniform, Marine, Air Force, Airmen, Coast Guard, Coast Guardsmen. If we had any Space Force, they got a cool name. They're called Guardians. Right? You, you, you know right away, you can tell by the uniform that they're wearing that they are identified with that group. Uniform, it identifies you. It's very clear you are taking upon yourself the form of a particular group. It also says that it is alike. Right? A uni it is called a uniform because it's alike among all the soldiers. In the 2002 Blue Jackets manual, it says this, your Navy uniform marks you as a professional, a member of a military service over 200 years old, a person currently in the service of your country. One of the main reasons that you wear a uniform is to look the same or similar to other members of the service. Just, just break down that word uniform. You've got una and form. Think about that first part, una, one. Right, one, individual, single. You see it in unicycle. You see it in unison. You see it in my favorite, universe. One verse. Think about that. Think about that. Universe, one verse in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. One verse. You see it singular. One. Form. Old French. I looked it up on Google. It's pronounced foam. Semblance, image, or likeness. When you put that together, what do you get? One form, one semblance, one image, one likeness. For me, that is of a Navy sailor. Right? I, I represent, I've taken on the form of a Navy sailor. When I showed up to boot camp, when I, took, when, when I arrived off of the bus, they cut my hair, they made sure I was shaven, took away my civilian clothes, put them in a bag, and gave me a uniform. Why? so that all of us would take on the form of a Navy sailor. Right? We all would become one. We would all take on that semblance. We would all take on that image of a Navy sailor. You know, even, even out of uniform, that's, that's how it started. 
But over the last 22 years, even out of uniform, people come and they'll, they'll say, are you in, the, are you in the military? It's like, how do you know? Right? How can you tell? Sometimes even when I'm not shaven, they can just tell, are you in the military? And I, I, think, I think that happens to probably most veterans. Has that, has that happened to anybody else in here? Just you in the military, right? You can, people can just tell the way that we walk, the way that oftentimes you talk, the way that you carry yourselves, your attitudes on life. People can just tell that you're in the military. For me, I'm, I'm a Navy. As he said, I, I went to nuclear power school, so I'm um, what people in the Navy refer to as a nuke, sometimes derogatory, a Navy nuke. So the Navy has some values. It's honor, courage, commitment. Admiral Hyman G. Rickover was the father of naval nuclear power. If you ever get a chance to read about this guy, I encourage you to do it. I mean, he, he was a bulldog. Right? Very quickly after discovering nuclear power, he said, I think I could get that on a submarine. And he did. But this guy, he had some other principles from which he, he, he wants people within the Naval Nuclear Program to operate. He says, face facts brutally. He says, formal documentation and communication, verbatim compliance, striving for excellence. If you can't write it down, you don't understand it. Enforcement of standards. These things over the last 20-some years that I have operated have become such a part of me that I am no longer just in the Navy. It has become such a part of me that I identify as a Navy nuke. It's just, it's just who I am. The way we walk, stand, carry ourselves. You know, if, if a stranger were to enter my home and to, were to walk around and look at things on my walls, were to look at my bookshelf, were to look at my clothes, my uniforms, even my civilian clothes, half of them have Navy paraphernalia of some sort, it would not be very difficult for them to come to the conclusion I'm in the Navy. If they were to look at my computer searches, Daily, I'm searching Navy news. I'm looking at, if they, were to, if they were to search at what I looked at, they would come to a conclusion very quickly that I am in the Navy. With that thought in mind, Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. The Bible says this. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which is in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And here's the verse. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. How did we get there? Stephen was martyred. Converts to Christ that were under persecution, they were scattered, and at first they were preaching, as the Bible says, it shows that they were preaching to Jews only. Then, then Grecian converts, they, they start to preach 
Jesus Christ to those who are in Antioch. A great number start to believe. A local congregation starts to form. Word gets back to Jerusalem, and they send Barnabas to go investigate what is happening. He found people when he arrives. He's heard of them, and he, he, he arrives, and he finds people who are full of the grace of God, preaching Jesus Christ. People are getting saved. The Bible says he's glad, he's excited, and he says something's happening here. And he goes and he gets Paul, and Paul comes back, and Paul helps him teach there for a whole year. And as these people are assembling, and as these people are being taught the word of God, something happens. The Bible doesn't say they called themselves Christians. The Bible says they were called Christians first in Antioch. People looked at this group of people and they said, they're like Christ. People looked at this group of people and they said they have the likeness, they have a similarity to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that it's, that it's pertinent here that the scripture points out who made up this church where they were first called Christians. Look at Acts eleven nineteen. the bottom half there, it says, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And then look at verse 20, it says that some of them, were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So you've got Jews and you've got Grecians both making up this church. Flip over to the right, a couple chapters, Acts 13, verse 1. Acts 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaeum, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. This church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. This church has, has Barnabas, who was a Levite from the land of Cyprus. This church is made up of a man named Simeon, whom they called Niger. Perhaps from the, there's an area in Western Africa where there, you've got Nigeria, the Republic of Niger, and the Niger River. You've got Lucius from Cyrene, which is a city in northern Africa, modern Libya. You've got Menaeum, who had been brought up under Herod the Tetrarch, who had beheaded John the Baptist killed James, arrested Peter. You've got Saul of Tarsus from the capital of Cilicia, modern-day Turkey, a converted Pharisee who, who was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. They were all called Christians. They all came together, and no longer were they Jews, no longer were they Gentiles, no longer were they Pharisees, no longer were they Levites, no longer were they Greeks. They took upon themselves the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were identified as Christians. Flip over to the right, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It's a good sound. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. It is the Lord's design. It is God's desire. It is God's plan that those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ would be conformed to the image of his Son. Those that have believed, those who have been reconciled to God, that we would be conformed. The word conform means made to resemble. Assuming the same form, like, resembling, more generally to reduce to a likeness or correspondence in manners, opinions, 
or moral qualities. Look what it says there, to reduce to a likeness. What did John the Baptist say? John 3.30, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Just as the Navy and all military veterans come from different states, even different countries, different socioeconomic backgrounds, there's people from, from cattle farms in Oklahoma, people from apartment buildings in Queens, people from, from all over, different cultures, different races, different backgrounds, they all come together and they take upon themselves a uniform. They take upon themselves that form of a Navy sailor. It is God's desire. As I look around this church and I see people, particularly in Northern Virginia, from all over, different backgrounds, different states, maybe different countries, they've all come together and it's God's desire, God's design for all of us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is God's desire that we would take upon ourselves the same moral qualities, the same opinions, the same values, that we would behave ourselves, that we would carry ourselves to such an extent that people would not look around at us and see individuals from different places. People would look around at us and say, I think they're Christians. I think they're like Jesus Christ. That is his desire. That is his design for us. As believers, we should not just be in a church. We should not just be saved and baptized in individuals. Our relationship and connection to God should be so strong. We should be so in prayer. We should be, be so in scripture. We should be, be so connected to God's church that just as just as the Navy, and particularly a Navy nuke, has become such a part of my identity that Jesus Christ himself should be our very identity. That that is how we identify ourselves. A couple questions for us. If a, if a stranger were to come to our home and look at our walls and look at our bookshelves, look at our YouTube history, look at our Netflix searches, would they come to the conclusion, I think they're a Christian? I think they're like Christ. If they were to watch us for, for watch our daily activities, would they say I, they behave in the, the same way that Jesus Christ behaved? Well, how do we do that? It's, it's a truth that it's God's desire for us to be conformed to his image. How do we do that? How do we take upon ourselves the moral qualities, the values? How do we, how do we take on ourselves the semblance of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think that Pastor Carpenter could perhaps spend a year going through the moral qualities of Jesus Christ, could go through who Jesus Christ is, all, that, all that's contained in our God and our King and our Savior. I want to talk about just one aspect of that, though. Flip over to the right to Romans chapter 12. One aspect, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here Paul says that, it, that, that offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is only the reasonable thing to do. Notice he says, I beseech you, therefore, when it says therefore, we should see what it's there for. So go, go just to the end of Romans 11. Why does he say, I beseech you therefore? 
On what basis is he beseeching us that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice? In Romans chapter 11, it says this, verse 32, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Exclamation point. Paul is excited about that. Paul said, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief. You understand what Paul is excited about here is he says that God has put us all down here in unbelief. He's put us all. Romans is a master class in building a case. Paul has started in the book of Romans and he said that we can all know there's a God by his creation. And he says that, he, he then builds the case that whether Jew or Gentile, we've all fallen short of the grace of God. And then in Romans 5, he tells us we're justified by faith. He's built this case that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all, God has measured us all, and he's concluded us all down here in unbelief so that he have, might have mercy upon all and raise us up to a state of righteousness and holiness in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he hath made him, speaking of Jesus Christ, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. The Bible, what Paul is excited about here is that God didn't make it that we were given a state of righteousness and holiness that is up to us to maintain. He has concluded us all in unbelief such that he might raise us to a level of righteousness by belief in his son, Jesus Christ, that he would then keep for us. And Paul says, based upon that, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, based upon that, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our bodies are to be offered as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice gives all. Right? A sacrifice that that sheep didn't just come and give its wool. Right? That, that turtle dove didn't just come and give its, give its feathers. A sacrifice gives all. If we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ, if we are going to become like Christ, we're to give all. We're to be all in. Think of Jesus Christ. Think of who Jesus Christ was and what he did. He lived for 33 years on this life. The Bible says grew in stature with both God and man. Went about doing good. If, if lepers came to him and needed healing, he would touch them and heal them. At one point he says that he has no place where to lay his head. Jesus Christ was all in for God the Father. Jesus Christ was 100% committed to the will of God the Father. We see this exemplified in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Matthew 26 verse 36, the Bible says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, 
even unto death. Tear ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus Christ was, was looking forward to the upcoming crucifixion. He's looking towards the, the mocking and the scourging and the ridicule. He's looking to no doubt he's not going to enjoy the pain and the suffering. But he's also looking to that point when he is going to become sin for us and God's going to turn his back upon him and he's going to cry out on that cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he's saying, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. In another, in the book of Luke, it tells us that as he's, as he's there on his face, he's sweating great sweat drops of blood and angels had to come and minister unto him. He was not looking forward to this. But look at the next portion, the end of that verse, verse 39. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. If we are going to take upon ourselves the form of God, if we are going to allow ourselves to be conformed to God, look, we already have the Spirit of God within us. If you're saved, if you've been born again, you've got the Spirit of God within you. If we are going to allow that Spirit, God's Spirit, to work within us, to conform us to the image of God, the first thing we have to do is be all in. All in. Navy.com says that uh, joining the Navy Reserve is a chance to become part of something bigger than yourself, to discover camaraderie that's really experienced in everyday life, and to benefit personally, professionally, and financially. The Navy has over 150 job options, many of which offer part-time opportunities in the Navy Reserve. Now, the Navy Reserve is a vital part of the Navy's mission. There's people here that have been in the Reserve no doubt that have probably seen combat face-to-face -face that I have never seen. I am not knocking the reserves, the National Guard, any of those things. But for the purposes of this message, understand that God is not looking for people to be in the Christian reserve. He's not looking for part-time Christians. He's not looking for people that will give two, uh, one weekend a month and two weeks a year and, and, and occasional, uh, occasional assignments. He's not looking for people who are Sunday morning Christians and then 10 minutes my daily prayer devotionals. And I'm not trying to be me. What I'm saying is God wants all of us. All of us. He wants us all in. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Bible says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Brethren, brothers and sisters, it's going to take a daily renewal, a daily dedication. We're bombarded. We're bombarded. We're going to conform to something. We're going to conform to something, and we are bombarded by this world to conform to this world. What God wants us to do is conform to his son, Jesus Christ. It's going to take renewing of your mind. Every time we see a uniform, I'd encourage us to ask a couple of questions. What form are we resembling? What form are we resembling? 
Are we resembling the world? Are we taking upon ourselves the image of the world? Are we taking upon ourselves the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then are we all in? Is, has Jesus Christ, has the Bible, his church, has that become like a little box in our lives and we have this box over here and this box over here and this thing over here and these segments and, oh yeah, I do also have some time for God. Or is God everything? Everything. Every time we see a uniform, am I being conformed to the image of Christ? And am I all in? If you could bow your heads. You know, there, there, there came a point in which I joined the U.S. Navy. At that point, I, I already knew it existed. I already believed that I could join it. But there had to be a day that I stepped forward, raised my right hand, and joined the Navy. In a, in a room this size, I've got to ask, has there ever come a point in your life to where you have become part of the body of Christ? You've likely heard of Jesus Christ. You've likely even, likely even believed that he exists. But has there ever come a point that you stepped out and accepted Jesus Christ for the payment? Can you relate to what I said at the beginning of this message? Can you relate to passing from death to life, from darkness to light? Was there a time in your life that your sins, the burden of your sins, was lifted? If not, you can make that right today. Jesus Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And he just wants us to call upon him for salvation. If so, if so, are we allowing ourselves to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Are we all in? Is he our very identity? Pastor. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you stand today? And the piano is going to begin to play. The Lord's touched your heart this morning. There's an altar available. There at your pew, you can talk to the Lord. But the question is, do you identify with Jesus Christ? That word Christian means little Christ. Do you identify with him? Do you have the same qualities and characteristics as a little Christ, as a Christian, as Jesus would. It's a convicting thought. Evaluate your own life. The Lord's working in your heart, touching your heart today. Would you respond today and maybe convicting you about certain aspects of your life that you know do not identify with Christ? It's a different behavior than what Christ would have, and you're convicted Again, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never put your faith and called on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how we'd love to share that with you today. The peace and joy that that can bring into your life.